welcome to Talking Home Renovations with the House Maven. I am your host, Catherine McPhail. I am an architect practicing in eastern Massachusetts, and my specialty is additions and renovations to existing homes. So this podcast uh, was intended for homeowners originally who were planning a home renovation and wanted to find out everything they could about it before they started. In this episode, I have a really enjoyable conversation with George Smart, who is the founder and executive director of U.S. Modernist and NC Modernist, which are both nonprofit organizations dedicated to the documentation, preservation, and promotion of modernist design. He is a sought-after speaker, travels all over the country, and I'm just really thrilled that he joined me for a conversation. I must have said his work was amazing a dozen times, but I can't help myself. It really is. Uh, We talked about information on his website, usmodernist.org. What is a modernist house? What is modernism? How is it different from contemporary? How to document houses in your area? How to hire an architect and contractor for your own modernist house? What it's like to live in a modernist house? And how you can go on a modernist tour with George. So let's just jump right into our conversation. I love your website, by the way. Well, thank you. We're very proud of it. It it just grows and grows all the time, every week. Did you see the Library of Architecture magazines? Oh yes, I did. That that is something else. That is really something else. I wish you needed some domus because I have a whole pile of them in the corner of my office, but alas, you don't. Yeah. 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 But um, I, I can't bear to throw them away. But so it's a great, actually, it's a great service you offer people because then they can feel free to throw away old magazines that they have lying around. That's right. And we also serve spouses who've been bugging their <laughs> significant others for decades to throw right. these damn magazines away. <laughs> right. Exactly. You're healing marriages around yeah. the country. Yeah. But yes. no, that's great. I noticed that you have a an area where you are advertising what you're missing. So I guess if anybody happens yeah. to have these lying around, they should go check it out and see if they have the issues you need. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just got like 12 cases of Sunset Magazine from San Francisco. In the spring, I got 46 cases of magazines from the University of Hawaii. Yeah, the UPS man doesn't like me. But... <laughs> I bet he doesn't. But I'm just amazed <laughs> that these things are just available on the internet now. They are just available Whereas you used to have to go to a library to find things like this, or you'd never, ever see it. I don't know. It's just amazing. It is. And what, what, we like, we, what we like doing for people is making them searchable. So they're actually useful now as a research tool. Because mm. who wants to thumb through thousands of pages of dusty magazines in a stack somewhere? Yeah. You're also helping people with allergies because that's that can be hard to do if you have allergies. But <clears throat> okay, so I, I hear I, yeah, I hear that you were called the Lorax of modernist houses, and that was Dwell Magazine, I think, who called you that. Yes, yes, that's a beautiful image. It was, um, yeah. It, you know, I, my other favorite is like uh, you know the monk in the scriptorium uh, copying the ancient scrolls. That's another <laughs> nice, colorful metaphor. It is. People contact me all the time, uh, usually timestamp three in the morning, and that they've been up all night looking through the website because they use, it's just so much material in there. And our goal is to overall do two things, really. One is to preserve modernist houses across the country. And secondly, is to make modernist architecture more accessible to the general public uh, with information and resources and things like that. 
uh, it's really evolved nicely beyond my wildest dreams over the last 13 years. I was trying to see if I could search for my town and see if there are any modernist houses that have been <clears throat> documented in my town. Is that possible to do it that way? Um, to a certain extent. Um, we're working on a GIS system now, which will allow very specific geographic searches of all the houses. Mm. But at the moment, you can only search on the text. So if your town has a unique name and you type that into our search engine, you can probably find articles about that. Yeah. But if you type in Williamsburg, there are probably 20 Williamsburgs across America. Well, true. It's not going to work out very well. If, let's say my listeners are homeowners, and what should they know about modernist architecture? Why should they care about it? And what can they do to help once they do care about documenting? Well, uh, homeowners should know really what a modernist house is to start with. Right. And we've defined it with, with four particular characteristics, um, a flat or low-pitched roof, an open floor plan, an unusual geometry, not just a box, and then also an abundant uh, number of light sources, lots of windows, big windows, courtyards, atriums, all of that, mm. that have the outside and the inside come together. If you put those four characteristics together, it knocks out probably 99% plus of all the housing in the U.S. So it's a very small niche. Hmm. And is it, does it have to have been built within a certain time period? No, that's a great question, though. So modernism is a style, not a time period. Hmm. Mid-century modernism is what occurred basically between about 1930 and 1970 when modernism fell out of favor uh, all across the world. And modernism didn't really start coming back in a big way until about the mid-90s and has been roaring forth ever since. What do you think happened to stop its popularity, would you say? Oh, it, it, it's, uh, we, we've solved that case. Okay. The clues are pretty definitive. <laughs> uh -huh. um, a couple of things happened. Uh, Mid-century modernist architects were always ahead of material science. So they were designing houses that, you know, really couldn't withstand the test of time, some of them. Mm. Um, the, the old uh, saw from the realtors was that if you bought a modernist house with a flat roof, it was going to yeah. leak. And that wasn't true across the board, but it was true enough where it was an issue. Also, tastes and styles changed. So by 1970, People weren't building modernist houses anymore, and we had slipped more into this postmodern phase, which was, uh, thankfully, more commercial than residential. Okay, so around here, well, I live in Massachusetts, so around here there aren't, I mean, there are some in Lexington because of Harvard, I think. We had we have a handful uh, in this area, mm -hmm. but the ones I've seen on the market, let's say the mid-century, um, the older ones, there are a lot of issues with them, with the ceiling of the windows or any other details or... Yes. So they do often get torn down, and that's part of what you're trying to stop people from doing. Yeah. Um, you know, by the time the house has changed hands three, four, five, eight times, and you've got some realtor who doesn't really know modernism, it just looks to them like an oddball house. So why not tear it down? Yeah. Um, you know, why not go on to something else? So by making the public aware of these houses, where they are, what their histories are, 
we dramatically improve the chance of saving them by getting them into the hands of new loving owners. Um, you know, for the longest time, none of the multiple listing services in America, but I think the exception of LA, had modernist as a house type. Mm. Yeah, they're not. Everything that everything was lumped into contemporary. They're not very good with house types be... on MLS, I think. But that's a whole nother yeah. complaint I have. But anyway, yeah. so yeah, they were lumped yeah. into contemporary, which I did want to ask you about the difference between contemporary and modern. So the contemporaries came along at, in 1970. Um, they took some of the features of modernism and changed them. For instance, they made the windows a lot smaller. Um, they kept a number of the unusual geometric shapes. So you see these modernist houses built between 70 and 80 that have T111 siding, mm. that kind of wide wood siding, and, uh, and smaller windows. Uh, they tend to have uh, angled roof, pitch roofs in the, for the most part. And the rooms aren't as open as some of the modernist houses where they went back to more separate rooms. And this was because, you know, the public had gotten tired of modernism by that point and wanted something different. Mm. So contemporary houses were really all the rage during the 70s. And then they fell away into the 80s where you had more of these developer style houses that were much more traditional, really, in, in content and look and feel. And they're still building a lot of those today. And then mid 90s, you say it picked up again. Picked up again, um, you know, some of the houses that um, had been very famous changed hands and people started to renovate them. I think one of the most famous cases was the Kaufman House in Palm Springs, California, which I believe Barry Manilow had owned at the wow. time. Um, there were a number of very unfortunate design choices and uh, additions put on the house. Barry was not really a, a into modernism. He just liked the location <laughs> and the house. That's not surprising. And it was bought, and it was bought by a couple who really brought it back to life. They took away all of these awful additions uh, and restored it really back to its original character. Mm. It's one of the most spectacular examples in Palm Springs, and it just went on the market for twenty-five million dollars. Oh. That's a lot of money. Who has, I guess some people have $25 million to spend on a house, or at least they can pay the mortgage on a $25 million house. I mean, that's not the subject of this either, but that's just a lot of money. No, it's lively, but it's a, it's a marquee house. I mean, it's one of the most famous houses in America for modernism, yeah. really. I mean, you can imagine if falling water in Pennsylvania went on the market, what kind of price that that would fetch. Um, yeah. You know, the more typical modernist house, you can go anywhere for between about 350, 400,000, depending on where they are in the country, all the way up to a couple of million. Of course, in California, it's going to be more expensive. In uh, Missouri, it's going to be less expensive. So it varies really by location a great deal. Right. So what can the average uh, lover of modernist architecture do to help preserve uh, examples in their area? Can they do anything? Well, this, this is a good question. They can do a lot. Uh, for some reason, there's a widespread belief that you can't document houses without having a PhD in architecture history, and that is not true. Um, you don't need to hire anybody. You don't need to have any special skills. You just need to have your cell phone and a car 
and maybe a laptop or a pencil and paper. And you just get in the car and start driving around and finding the houses and jotting down the addresses and getting a photo from the street. And then you can get on the internet and start researching the history of these houses. Who's owned them? Who designed them? Who built them? Did they have anything interesting happen in them over time? Um, that's how I started. I started with basically a list of, of 20 houses that I put together late one night in 2007. And that list of 20 has now grown into about 8,000 mm. on our U.S. and our North Carolina site. And since then, we've had any number of really probably a couple of hundred volunteers participate in this project who have done just that. They have been very curious about their towns in, in North Carolina and other places, and they have sent in photos and information about the houses. And so the upshot of that is for our area, we haven't really lost a major modernist house in about seven years. Wow, that's incredible. Um, we've lost a few kind of minor ones that weren't that great, but the really, the really keystone ones, the ones that are of significance, we haven't lost in quite a while. So when you talk about these volunteers, are these people who sign up ahead of time? Or if I just put together a list and then I sent you my list and said, here's 11 houses that you don't have in your database yet, would you just? So we organize our archives by architect, not by geography. Right. So when people volunteer, we assign them to an architect and show them how to find out every house that architect ever built. And then they go on the trail for hunting for mm. it. This is when they're volunteering for us. They may just want to do their own town, in which case I'll show them how to do that for themselves and how to start their own free website where they can put all this information. And voila, they have their first archive. I mean, that would be amazing if people just did that and documented the... Um... Well, various houses. It, it, I guess we wouldn't have to be limited to modern, modernist houses, right? I mean, people are all upset about people no. tearing down houses and replacing them with these giant you know, mansions. Right. I mean, there, there's there's different uh, special interests. I mean, there's there's groups that love Victorian houses. There are groups that love row houses in big cities. Uh, so it's really whatever your interest is. But um, this information is is fractured across the internet. And so you have to pull it all together into one place like we did for modernists. Yeah. So you said that you could still build a modernist house today. So if you were going to yes. do that, you would need to hire an architect. Right. Well, I guess you wouldn't have to, I guess you could, if you were so inclined to design it yourself, if you knew how. You could do it on your own. It's really tough yeah. to be your own architect and contractor. I do not recommend that for most No, I people. don't either. Because even if you're good at it, it's going to just absorb your life for a long time. That is very true. Definitely, if you're doing both, that's going to that's going to be a, a big time sink. But maybe just one, actually, even even maybe. just one could be also um, a big a big time commitment. So, all right. So, let's say you're going to hire an architect. What do you have any advice on hiring a modernist, a good modernist architect? I get this question all the time. It's really one of my favorite questions to answer. Um, and people call and they're very, very concerned, very stressed. Like, how do I pick the right architect? I don't want to pick the wrong architect. And I have to tell them that at least for modernism, almost any architect can put together a very good modernist house for you. That's not the problem. The problem is the contractor. Most contractors are not very skilled and don't have the subcontractor network to build a, a good modernist house. They, they can do it, 
but it's not their thing. Mm -mm. And so you want to make sure upfront that you find out from your architect, who do they work with all the time? Who are their favorite modernist builders? And to get those people involved in the very early conversations with the architect as design is going on. So they can be a reality check about what things are going to cost and what the scale of things can be. So you can be more likely to come in on budget. The other thing I tell people is, is that do not go into your architect with your list of the hundred things you've seen on HGTV <laughs> because you've just, you've just hamstrung the architect's ability to be creative. If you give them a laundry list, all they can do is just sort through that list. Right. But if you do something different, you can get a much better result. And that is go into your architect with what you want the house to do. What is its function? Is it a place for your mother to come live with you in five years? Is it a place to raise three children? Is it a place to um, you know, breed championship dogs? Is it a place to have your violin and, and piano concerts? Um, is it a place to have art? Is it uh, a quiet uh, place for meditation? What is it gonna be doing for you? Mm. Um, how many people are you gonna have in there and how often? And then the architect who is trained in space and scale and structure can actually use their skills to come up with something that's probably going to be smaller than you imagined, but um, much more practical, much more useful. And as my own example, I live in a house that's 2,400 square feet, and we use every single room every day. There's no wasted space. That's great. But if I walk into any developer house in the area that's not modern and ask the family, what rooms do you not use? They can point out one, two, sometimes three oh, yeah. rooms. They're almost never in. That's very true. People often think they need more space than they actually are going to use, or they don't need to build as much as they think they need to most of the time. No. That and they get, they get tied into this mythical number called cost per square yeah. foot. They get obsessed with it. And I keep telling people, it just doesn't matter. I think that's from Animal House. It just <laughs> doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. Is that what really matters is your budget. So what matters is if you're going to spend 300, 500, 700, whatever it is, you want to end up having spent just that much and have a house that you love. Those are the two main qualifications. Right. Very good point. So if you, if you have a smaller house that costs you a little more per square foot, that's really not a problem. And an architect can help you do that. Yeah. Well, I, I, that is very good advice about picking the right contractor as well, because in the end, even it doesn't matter what the drawings say, if they can't do the details you, the way you want them to, or it's just not going to turn out the way you want. They, a lot of contractors just do the thing, the, do things the way they've always done them. And that's it. Right. And the other thing is modernist design requires different materials. It uses a lot more steel. It uses a lot more glass. It uses a lot more expanses like big windows that require a different underlying infrastructure to support all right. that. So that isn't always going to be in the wheelhouse of your average contract. That's very true. Well, if I were somebody wanting to buy my house, a house, maybe my ninth house or my first house, how would I, is there a special real estate are there special real estate professionals who um, I could go to to find a modernist house? If I 
Yes. Um, in, in most every me metro area, there are one or two real estate agents that really specialize in modern. Now, the thing is, all of them will tell you that modern is no problem. It's just like every other house. They're not. So the way you uh, triage all this is you look at their prior listings. And if you don't see a lot of other modernist houses, that's not the agent to get. Okay. Well, I mean, I always thought I would live in a modernist house. I married an architect. I thought we would build and design design and build our own modernist house, but instead we live in a um, a Dutch colonial. Can you believe yeah. that? It happens all the I just, time. Because I know we would fight all the time about uh, if we were designing something together, it would just be a lot of um, it'd just be too much discussion. So we just live in this. Uh, it was a hoarder house, and it seemed like it needed to be saved. So we, you know, we saved it. Well, here's the trick for couples. <laughs> is that even if one of you is an architect or both hire an architect, ah. get somebody third party to be your architect and do that. And that will take care of much of the back and forth that you were dreading. That's an amazing, that is an amazing bit of advice. I'm going to bring that up because we both have ideas. I think we could compromise and get to a place where we could both be happy. I mean, I do think it's possible. Yeah. But you got to realize is that, then you're relying on someone to do the work that you're not paying, that is not really, you know, the client. It's, it gets all muddled. Mm, it does. Yeah. Um, some of the some of the uh, best architects in our area. There's one fellow uh, named Phil Freelon, who was one of our most famous architects in North Carolina. Um, he was involved with the African American Museum in Washington mm. D.C. that opened up just a few years ago. Um, you know, most architects wanted to do their own thing. He hired somebody else and it made his life so much easier so he could continue serving his clients and doing his right. thing. Right. Instead of taking three or four or five years off from my own practice, I could actually just pay someone else to do it. That is brilliant. Yeah. I might just have my yeah. own modernist house then. I you might. might. I'm soon. really inspired, George. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So you talk all over the country. You have a million videos and PowerPoints and everything on your website. So yes. somebody who doesn't know a thing about modernist arch, um, architecture or houses could go on there and learn almost everything there is to know, I feel like. Well, it's, it's, it's a good exposure for people who are new. It's also for people who have a, a favorite and want to do a deep dive. Mm. If you're a Neutra fan, we have almost every one of the four or 500 houses he designed. We have all the Wright houses, the Schindler houses, the Lautner houses, the Soriano houses and 70 other architects yep. of the 20th century. And we're adding to this constantly. I think in the next couple of weeks, by the end of January, we'll have added uh, two lesser known architects on Long Island, uh, Andrew Geller and Norman Jaffe, who were very famous in New York, but not necessarily well known throughout the rest of the country. And that's what we're working on now is more regional modernist architects. Mm who uh, didn't achieve the kind of fame of uh, a Frank Lloyd Wright, but were really equally as good in many ways. Mm. Are any of them, are any of the architects in your archive currently practicing? Uh, almost all of them, unfortunately, um, are in that great drafting room in the uh, sky. Okay, well, I guess that makes it a lot easier because how then would you, there are thousands of, many thousands of practicing architects out there who would like to be in your and your list, I guess, of practicing modern architects. So 
Well, well they are, and we're we're catching up to them. <laughs> um, You're catching up to the living ones. Yeah. Yes, we are. We are. We have we have a few. Uh, I make no pretense that my my very favorite is Bjarke Ingels, who is just you know on fire right now as an architect all across the wow. world. He announces uh, really a new major project being completed almost every two weeks. It's astonishing. Wow. All right, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to um, look that one up. I, I'm just kind of uh, I'm a little bit out of the loop. I just do additions to normal houses, and I've kind of lost touch with the whole. Um, I don't know what you would call it. What I thought I was going to be doing when I was in graduate school is totally different than what I'm doing in actual reality. So, yeah, yeah. like us all. Yes, really. true. Because you started off as uh, not having anything to do with modern architecture. No, I was a management consultant for 20, 30 years doing strategic planning and executive coaching, leadership development, kind of corporate training stuff. Wow. So who knows what's next, really? I mean, that because this just kind of happened. I mean, it didn't kind of happen. You put a lot of effort into it, but there was a, a sudden shift for you. Yes, my wife refers to all of this as a 13-year seizure. <laughs> it's not over. <laughs> not no. over yet. There's no cure for modernism, evidently. <laughs> no, there's not. And so you have, like, um, <laughs> I read it was a number two architecture podcast. Well, that's what we're told. Um we get on a lot of lists, and we're usually number two or number three. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, the very top one, which is wonderful, is 99% Invisible yes, that's a good one. by Roman Mars. Yep. But um, he has a staff and a big payroll and lots of big sponsors, and we are like one one-hundredth the size of that operation. So we're very happy to be you know, in the top five, really. Yeah, well, it's a great, it is a great uh, podcast. I've listened to a lot of your episodes, so I'm well, enjoying you. it, and thank I am... Um, I'm subscribed and I'm going to listen to it. I hadn't, I hadn't come across my, you know, my screen. So I'm glad it has. And um, <clears throat> I was just trying to convince my family that next year, maybe we should get one of those uh, plexiglass um, concentric ring Christmas trees that I think hang from the ceiling. Oh, yes. the, mo the modern Christmas yeah. trees. And I also love that yeah. modern, um, the mod box mailbox. It, oh yeah. They, they make those in our area. Well, they're Kelly. awesome, and it would completely not match my neighborhood or my house. You know, this Dutch colonial with a mod well, box in front. You have to start somewhere, <laughs> right? Yep. Just a little. That could be the first step of your new modernist house is buy the mailbox first. I know. If that, I'm, I am very tempted. You know, when I'm in Florida, I see those manatees holding the little mailbox, and I always thought, happy I'll get one of those. But <laughs> I think mod box maybe is more the way to go. Yeah. Yeah, and they're very they're they're incredibly sturdy. I mean, you know, you could use this as like a self defense weapon or something. They are strong mailboxes. Well, they're so fun, and that's the thing about modern um, all that mid century modern um, aesthetic is that I think it's so it's so fun. I guess because it does kind of seem like the Jetsons or like a cartoon or it's like not of this world. So maybe that's what makes it kind of fun. Well, you know, that's part of what people love so much is that it is very futuristic, it is very hopeful. After World War II, there was an immense optimism in America about what the future was going to be. Um, something that in you know, our current political climate we don't have is a lot of optimism. Mm. And, and this is a double-edged sword for modernist houses. So a house will be 50 or 60 years old and up for historic review, and the city council will look at the photos and go, 
this doesn't look like history. This doesn't look old. This still looks like 10 years from now. They have a very difficult time, uh, you know, considering modernist design to be historical unless there's uh, just, you know, a lot of other information provided to them. Mm. So our site helps with that. And then our magazine archives help provide all the original source material from the media of the time about the houses and the awards they won. Speaking of looking like the future, I these houses are always completely, they feel, they feel like, well, the ones you see pictures of, like uh, they seem very empty or they seem very clean or they seem very uncluttered. There's not yes. a lot of, you don't see toilet paper in them lying around, not in the living room, but you don't see stuff. You just don't see the stuff. And no, you don't, you don't see the clutter, yeah. which is, I have to say one of the great uh, things that I'm attracted to about it. Cause it seems like if I lived in that house, that would be my life. My life would be a clean, elegant, uncluttered life. But it, it makes a huge difference. Uh, you know, it's not going to solve your life. If your life is a train wreck. <laughs> oh, that's bad news. But, it, <laughs> but yeah, but it will make it uh, a lot easier. And, I'll give you some examples of this. So when we designed our modernist house, the one I'm in now, uh, 10 years ago, we minimized some of the closet space on the inside, uh, just enough to put clothes. Because what happens when you have too many closets? You put a lot of crap in them and you stuff them full. It's the same way with um, attics and basements and you know whole rooms that become your storage. Instead, we widen the garage by an extra five feet. So we actually have an extra half a car space in the garage. Mm -hmm. And we put in a lot of restaurant style uh, stainless steel shelving hmm. and a lot of um, uh, plastic tubs you can buy at Target. And we must have 50 tubs out there of all the stuff that is our storage area. And our rule of thumb is generally is that if we want to add to the storage area, something wants to go. So since it's all in one place, it keeps it neat out there. It keeps it neat inside the house. Mm. And the whole part of the modernist movement was to move away from adornment, yeah. from uh, the kind of intricacies that you could see in the houses built, say, in the in the 20s and around the turn of the 20th century. Yeah. So um, it, it is, to your point, it really is a, a nice way of living. I love mm. it. Well, it looks great. It looks great in the photos, but I, you know, yeah. I don't know. Um, if I actually live there, I think I'd probably bring all my stuff with me. You know, my tendencies, well, you would. I would, and I would just, I don't know if it would change my personality though. I'm kind of curious to see if that's possible. It, it would have you feel more relaxed. Mm. And also the secret is a lot of built-in things like built-in bookcases, built-in uh, small storage areas, right? Yeah. Um, you know, built-in cabinetry into the walls. Mm. So you don't have to go out and buy furniture. It's just part of the construction process. That is nice. That makes a huge amount of difference for keeping things out of that the way. That is true. That is true. And people could do that in any house that they have, actually. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. You can do that. And, you know, um, fortunately... Um, you know, IKEA is our friend in this because a lot of home renovations essentially create built-in furniture using IKEA kits mm -hmm. as the base and building it into a wall or some sort of floating unit or whatever. You can do that fairly economically. Yeah, that's a good tip. You know, I tell people that um, 
you want to avoid two things. One is the Priscilla Presley syndrome. And, you know, Priscilla, wife of Elvis, oh, yes. um, bought a, a beautiful John Lautner Martis house in mm. L.A. and proceeded to destroy it into this Italianate villa. Oh, cut. So the moral there is, if you want a villa, buy a villa. Right. I- Don't take a modernist house and try to turn it into something Now, does else. that still exist in its Italian villa state? Yes, it does. And I'm sure when that ownership changes, that whoever buys it is probably going to take it back to the yeah, way. Yeah. So it was. is that Priscilla Presley? Is she still? She's still alive, Priscilla Presley. Yes, she and is. Does she, does, is, does she is. still own it? Yeah, I believe she does. Oh, yes. Okay. Well, hopefully she doesn't listen to this podcast because then now she's just going to be second guessing her choices. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, we can't go anywhere now, of course. But it does seem like your tours that you have on your website are pretty um, all over the world. We do. When there's not a pandemic, we take people to Europe. We're taking people to Dubai for the World's Fair. And that's amazing. Do you go uh, on those also? Are you personally on there? Yes. I am on most of them. Um, We now have a new coordinator that does our European trips. So I'm not on each one of those. And we do Palm Springs Modernism Week. Yeah which is like the Super Bowl of modernism. <laughs> and then we take people to L.A., to uh, New York, to Chicago. Wow. And every year to central Pennsylvania for our big three, Falling Water, Kentuck Knob, and Polymath Park. That's an amazing life you've made for yourself. You get to go on all these awesome trips, study these awesome houses, help people learn about them. Anyway, I'm amazed by your work. Well, thank you. No one is more surprised than me that this has worked out so well. I Hopefully I'll be able to sign up on one of those tours post-pandemic someday. Yeah, you'll have to come join us. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, for sure. Maybe for my 60th birthday. I'll, I'll save up for that. And in about six years, maybe I'll be able to go do something like that. Okay. That'd be awesome. They're not super expensive. The World's Fair trip is a bit pricey. But uh, normally for what you get, which is... Uh, the air and the hotel and the food and the parties and the tours and everything else. It's its not a bad deal. Sounds great. And the proceeds help support our nonprofit. Perfect. Our website is usmodernist.org. And my email address and phone number are at the bottom of every page. So I'm easy to reach. Um, I will respond to just about everybody within 24 or hours. Less. Yeah, or less. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, and your podcast is U.S. Modernist Radio. U.S. Modernist Radio, mm-hmm. right. And you can find information on that at usmodernistradio.org. Right, or wherever you get your podcasts. Right, wherever you pick them yep. up. Well, you're totally awesome, and I am so, um, I'm just so glad that you came and talked to me. Oh, well, you're so nice, and I can't wait to meet you in person. It'll be soon enough, six years. Maybe before then. I think maybe a little excursion. Maybe. I feel like I'll never get out of here, but maybe we will eventually. Yeah, we will. Well, I I can't wait to spend my whole week off just reading stuff on your website. Well, if you have any questions, you know, feel free to call or we can chat again. Well, you'll probably be hearing from me. Okay, Okay, good, good. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Thanks again to George for joining me. His podcast, U.S. Modernist Radio, is on my rotation now, and I love it. 
you will probably also enjoy it. So check it out. I'm serious about going on one of his trips. I'm really going to do that. I'll report back when I do. In the meantime, I have big news. Talking Home Renovations with House Maven will now be a weekly show. And I'll be including a series called Renovation Stories, which will feature homeowners who have a fun or dramatic story to tell about their own renovation. I just feel like we can all learn from each other, and I can't wait to hear what your renovation was like. The stories could be funny. They could be dramatic. They could be frustrating. They could be whatever they are. To share your experience, and if you'd like to tell your story or if you have a suggestion for an episode, please send me an email at thehousemaven at talkinghomerenovations.com. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram as Talking Home Renovations. Join me there. Also, please join me over at TikTok if you happen to be on TikTok because things get a little hairy over there. And I could use some friendly faces, but um, yeah, mostly I'm still enjoying it. I am the house maven over there. Share this podcast with your friends who you think would enjoy it. And if you like if you like the show, leave a rating and a review. That would be helpful to me and most appreciated. So until next time, take care. <laughs>